Hello, church. It is so great to see you. When our family uh, growing up took a, a road trip, uh, my dad never let us stop. I don't know how it was for you when you grew up, and we certainly never stopped and ate at a local restaurant in the town. No siree. My mom always prepared a meal to take with us that we ate while we were still driving in the car. As a matter of fact, it was the same meal every single time. She would boil some hot dogs and put it in a bun and put some ketchup on it, and she would grill some hamburgers and on a bun with some ketchup, and she would wrap them uh, all in uh, a tight uh, aluminum foil and place them in a container. And it was amazing to me how long uh, the hot dogs and the hamburgers stayed warm in that container, and the aroma just overtook the car in such a way that as kids growing up, when we took a road trip, our question to our dad was not, are we there yet? But the question was, is it time to eat yet? It was amazing. In addition to that, uh, my mom would uh, prepare some homemade iced tea. She would take a pitcher like this, and, and I would watch her do this. She would take the tea bags, and she would stick them in some warm water. And, and I just loved, as a kid, watching as the tea overtook the water and just sort of kind of comes down and, and creates that sort of dark look. And it was just really an awesome experience for me. And this is what we would drink on our road trips. I'd like you to take a moment and turn to your neighbor and tell them what was your experience growing up on your road trips. Were you the kind that never could stop and never went to a restaurant, or are you the ones that stopped along the way, smelled the roses, and even enjoyed some of the local favorite restaurants? Tell your neighbor what you did. You see, when it comes to spiritual growth, oftentimes the methods that we use are good and solid, but the motives are suspect. And I find this is true of many of us who are journeying down the road of the Christian life, and that is that we have engaged in good spiritual practices, but our motives for what we're hoping to get out of life haven't changed. God wants our desires to be about being in a relationship with him and increasingly bearing fruit that comes from him in our lives that can affect the people around us as opposed to sort of entreating God that he would help us accomplish the things that we still desire when we're on this side of the road, those selfish things that we saw in the lives of the parrots. Well, today we are going to talk about that very thing as we come to this juncture, this intersection in the Roman road. So far, we have already passed two mile markers in our journey down this road, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 5, and we learned an undeniable biblical principle, and that is this. The only way to get to the other side of this great gulf in the Romans road is to rely solely, place your faith solely on the work of Christ on the cross. It is the only way we can come into a relationship with God. And now that we find ourselves on this side of the road, Paul turns his attention to mile marker number three. How do we now grow in this new relationship with God? Well, last week in our study, we learned some discouraging news, Romans chapter six and seven, that when we walked over on this side of the Romans road into a right relationship with God, we brought over with us our struggle 
with sin and selfishness. It is still with us and holding us down. Matter of fact, Paul introduced us last week to two laws that were at work in our life that keep us from experiencing victory in our new relationship with God. Now, when you think of the word law, I want you to think of a force or an influence in you that is impelling you to action. Think of a law as a power. Last week, Paul introduced us to the law of sin in us. And he said, this law of sin is at work in our flesh, urging us constantly, urging us constantly to think of ourselves and our own desires over the desires of God and the needs of the people around us. The second law that Paul introduced us to is called the law of Moses. Rules like the Ten Commandments are constantly putting label on my actions and declaring them as sin. For example, my desire to keep up with the Joneses, Moses called coveting. And he said coveting is a sin. And here's the interesting thing that Paul tells us, that the law of Moses in reality doesn't keep me from sinning, but in many ways tempts me to sin all the more. Not that the law of Moses is bad, but for some reason it causes me to want to sin all the more. Why? Well, deep in our flesh, there is something that my flesh longs for more when I'm told I can't have it. If the law says, don't touch that, that's all I can think about, is touching that thing I'm not supposed to touch. Someone put it this way, Moses' law has the right, but not the might. Sin's law has the might, but not the right. So we came to the end of chapter 7 of the book of Romans with the desire to grow in this new grace-filled relationship with God. But we concluded by saying, you can't do it. So is that it? We can't do it? Is this ideal uh, of living the Christian life just that, an ideal that no one can attain? Well, if you're interested in the answer to that question, I'm going to encourage you now to take your Bibles and hold them high above your head and say this prayer with me as we continue our journey down the Romans road. All over the house, put them up over your head and say it with me. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We take this journey together down the Romans road, knowing the destination is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Without question, one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible. And as you're turning there, you need to know that in this chapter, Paul is going to tell us that when we became Christians, that is, we crossed over the bridge of Christ, and came into a right relationship with God, that God introduced a third law into our lives. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What's he saying? He's saying that when we confess Christ as the sole Savior of our life, the Bible tells us, not only here in Romans 8, but in other places throughout the New Testament, that God instantaneously deposits a third law in our life called the Holy Spirit. 
God's Spirit is a new force or a new power that we didn't have on this side that is now in our life, actually enabling us to grow in our relationship with God. We learned up to this point that the work of Christ is the only way I can get into a relationship with God. Today we're going to learn that the work of the Holy Spirit is the only way I can grow in my relationship with God. God's Spirit is in me, ready to do battle with the law or the force of sin on my life in such a way that we can say it this way. Moses' law had the right, but not the might. Sin's law had the might, but not the right. But the law of the Spirit has both the might and the right. You say, Randy, how does that work? Well, that's a great question. I heard you mumbling it under your lips. Let me give you the answer. It's found in chapter 8 and verse 5. Paul writes, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul tells us to simply set our mind on what the Spirit desires. The question becomes, well, what does the Spirit desire? Look at the next verse, verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And here the Apostle Paul is offering us our next practical action step if we desire to move down the Romans road into a right relationship with God, into a growing relationship with God. Listen very carefully. He invites us to preoccupy our minds, to preoccupy our thoughts, which though with, on those things which lead to life and peace versus those things that ultimately lead to death. He encourages here to be obsessed with these new desires, to make them our new ambitions in life so that we think about them and desire them all the time. I thought uh, in the scriptures, what would be some of these new desires that we would preoccupy our minds with? A first one might be a desire to be like Christ, a desire to live like him, a desire that that list in Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, might be increasingly said about my life as people in my life encountered me. A second desire would be to have a strong family, a desire to leave behind a strong legacy, a, a, a desire for healthy relationships in my life and good community where we help each other grow. Another desire might be uh, the desire to use my gifts, my financial gifts and my spiritual gifts and my natural gifts in such a way that it makes a difference in the lives of other people. That I don't just use my gifts for my own ends and my own gratification, but I'm constantly passionate about how God can use me to make a difference in someone else's life, particularly those who are broken and bruised. The final desire would be a desire for the kingdom of God to come, which Paul is going to talk about today, to fix my mind and to learn more about what God has promised us to us as heirs in the kingdom to come and get so excited about what is coming ahead of me that I desire today to begin living like I was already there. Paul says that when we do this, when we set our desires in this way, and we hang out with others in community who have the same passion, when we make a decision each day 
No, really, each and every moment that what we want in life is the same thing that God wants, things that lead to life and things that lead to peace. Paul says that when you do that, those of you who have placed your faith in Christ and you're on this side of the road, when you do that, you are activating the work of the Spirit of God in you and he goes to work and wages war against the the law of sin in your life. Look at chapter 8 and verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Did you catch what he was saying here? He is saying that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is in you. And that when we set our desires on what God desires and what he wants out of our life, that spirit, that same powerful spirit goes to work in our life. To me, that's like taking an anthill out with a hand grenade. That is like massive power to finally come up against this powerful law of sin in my life. Now there are two things that Paul says specifically in chapter 8 that the Spirit will do to come alongside of us and to help us, particularly when we get stuck in our journey with God. The first one has to deal with this struggle that we often have to place our desires under the desires of God, to place our heart in the place where God wants it to be placed. And as a result, Christians on this side of the road can oftentimes feel guilty and full of shame and even feeling as though we might have crossed a line with God and that he's given up on us and that we have lost our salvation. Paul says to us in this passage that the spirit of God in us comes alongside of us in times like this and if we'll be quiet and we will listen, he will remind us that God under no circumstances is going to throw us out, that we are his children now and forever and nothing can change that. Look at chapter 8 verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Wow. When I was studying that this week, it reminded me of a story we heard uh, about two years ago when I was interviewing Bruce Bowen here at the Oak Hills Church, that San Antonio Spurs superstar, now commentator for ESPN, is a follower of Jesus Christ. And he shared the story of how he was growing up in California and his mom was addicted to drugs and crack and his dad was not really in his life but would show up from time to time and therefore Bruce was sort of moved along to the different relatives as he was being formed as a kid. And he always knew that it was time to leave. Whenever he did something wrong, he needed to pack his bags because he was being thrown out to to go live with the next relative until he did something wrong and then he'd be moved along to another aunt, another uncle, another grandmother. And uh, Bruce finally graduated from high school and found out he was really good at basketball and got a scholarship and moved a little further south in California. And there was this family, actually a pastor and his wife, who adopted Bruce and, and, and invited him to come live with them. Bruce, to this day, calls them mom and dad. And Bruce recounted the first time that he had made a mistake. I don't know if you heard the story, but 
he, uh, he missed curfew. Even as a college student, they required for there to be a curfew. And Bruce missed that curfew, and Dad confronted him. And so Bruce just assumed that life as usual. He went into his bedroom and began to pack his stuff. And his dad came into the bedroom and says, What are you doing? He says, Well, I'm assuming that it's time for me to leave. He said, No, it's not time for you to leave. We speak the truth here, but we speak the truth in love. You're my son. Unpack your stuff. And the same principle applies in our relationship with God. Whenever we do something wrong, we oftentimes take that first impulse that Adam and Eve took. Remember when they committed that very first sin? Their first impulse was to hide from God because they felt guilt and they felt shame. But we're not supposed to do that. The spirit in us comes and whispers to our spirit that in fact we are children of God and we should not do that. He uses the word Abba. Now those of you who are new to the study of scripture may not know that this word Abba uh, can be used today when we say to our fathers, dad or daddy. It is a term of intimacy, a term of endearment. And whenever we do wrong and we feel that God is out there to get us and that he is angry at us and we stay away from him and his people, the Holy Spirit in that dark place whispers to our spirit, he will never let you go. What are you thinking? Run to him and cry, Abba, Father. Cry, Daddy, and you will discover afresh that he forgives you and he forgives you and he forgives you and he desires for you to curl up in his arms and receive his love, not only when you do good, but also when you make a mistake. He is the God who loves you no matter what. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That's good stuff, huh? Number two, Paul says that the Spirit does something else. When we find ourselves in a place of weakness, when we find ourselves struggling or in a place of great pain, Paul says that the Spirit of God in Christ's followers comes alongside of them and helps them make it through. You could be in a place where you have lost someone that you love or you counted on, or you're watching yourself lose someone you love or you count on. You are experiencing abandonment in a relationship. You're overcome with illness. You're experiencing financial ruin. You were riddled with rejection. You're in a deep state of depression, and you don't even know what the object of your fear is. You're overcome with anxiety, and you're really, really, really struggling, and you don't know what to do or where to turn. Paul tells us that the Spirit for Christ's followers, is right there to help us through. Look at chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. He writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with with God's will. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been in that place where you hurt so much that nothing came out but groans? I've been there about three or four times so far in my life 
And one particular time, I remember, I was in a hospital in Cleveland Clinic watching my mother die. And I was so stuck. I was so confused that I ran down to the little chapel on the third floor. My mother was in palliative care, dying. And I let out groans so loud that everyone in the hospital for sure heard it. And Paul says, in that moment, because I've placed my faith in Christ, that the Spirit of God entered into that little chapel room, and he took those groans, and he converted them into a coherent prayer, and then took them and personally delivered them to the throne of God the Father and offered up a prayer for me in accordance to his will. I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever a prayer is offered up in accordance with God's will, that prayer is always answered in God's time. You say, I don't understand. James chapter 4 tells us that the only prayers that are not answered are prayers that are offered up in the wrong motive. Thank goodness he doesn't answer those prayers. But prayers that are offered up in accordance with God's will are always answered in his time, in so much so that I and you can rely completely on what he says will happen in the next verse. He says that all things will work together for good in that situation. And for me, I have found it to be true. We have learned so far in our journey down the Romans road that the work of Christ is the only way you can come into a relationship with God. And today we are learning that the only way you can grow in your relationship with God is through the work of the Holy Spirit. I think that there is an opportunity for us to acknowledge that in chapter 7, Paul said to us, the Christian life, you can't do it. But now he's come to the end of chapter 8, and he is giving us four promises that are a direct result of the law of the Spirit in our life. Look at him with me, verse 28. All things work together for the good. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, a turn. In, there's a bend in the Romans road, and we have just made it. I have to believe that there is three possible steps, action steps, for those hearing these words today. For some of you today, you need to set or reset your desires on the things of God. And when you do, Paul says that you will activate the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And you will again, or maybe for the first time, begin to experience success in your life according to the will of God. Some of you hearing these words no doubt are overwhelmed with guilt and shame because you haven't lived up to this relationship that you took advantage of in Christ. As a matter of fact, you're so overwhelmed that many of the people who need to hear these words aren't here today because they've done what Adam and Eve have done, and that is that they have hidden from God because they're carrying so much guilt and shame. 
But if you know of such a person, would you take this message back to them? That the Spirit of God is in them. And if they will be quiet for a moment, they will hear him whisper, get out of your hiding place and come back into the place of God because he never let you go. And cry out to him, Abba, Father. Maybe some of you are in this room today, you feel like you've crossed the line and the secret of your life is that you're, you're really not living out the Christian life and you feel so much shame. It's time for you to let go of the guilt and experience again the fresh forgiveness of God. And finally, there's got to be some of you in this room, I know you, some of you, who are going through a very difficult season in your life right now. You are hurting in a big way. Paul invites you, if you're a follower of Christ, to take your groanings without words to God in prayer and let the Spirit of God translate it before God the Father in such a way that you can be assured that all things, in fact, will work together for your good, regardless of how dark the situation looks right now. Well, if it's hard to understand, let me go back to this uh, picture of tea. Your life is this pitcher of water, and the Holy Spirit has been deposited in you are these tea bags. And here's a principle of the Christian life. If you want the tea to be stronger, you need to leave the bags in there longer, suggesting to us that spiritual growth does take time, and we need to be patient. But if you're in a hurry and you want to speed up the process, you need to do what my mom did to make the tea stronger, and that is she took the wooden spoon, which she usually used on my rear end, and uh, you need to stir the bags that are in the water. Stir them. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. If you want the presence of the Spirit to be stronger in your life, you need to let him stir in you. Well, here's the good news. Just like a cold cup of iced tea brings refreshment on a road trip on a hot summer day, so a life filled with the Spirit brings refreshment to our daily lives and to everyone who takes a sip from our